Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Fruit Loops Season 3, Episode 29. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight white dudes. No, there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294 and we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join the discussion by using the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod discussion or by joining our Facebook group. All of the footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. We also have some merch for sale on our website. But if you can't help monetarily, no problem. You can always give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And be sure to share our show with your friends. So who are we talking about today, Beth? Well, this is part two of our episode on the Wemmerpan killer, Mayope Cedric Make, a South African serial killer who committed at least 27 murders throughout 1996 and 1997. So if you're just tuning in, go back and listen to part one and we'll meet you right back here. 
Yes, we will. So in the meantime, how are you doing? I'm okay. I'm a little worn down. Uh, just tired. I've got a lot of a lot going on at work right now, so I'm just trying to keep my head above water. Uh, mm. And it's exhausting. <laughs> yes, I feel you. Same, 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 same. Uh, it's already spring break. Like, it, it, yeah. What the hell? I know what what it, happened to, yeah. to January and February. Yeah, no. Like Easter decorations are already coming up. It's like, oh, come on, time <laughs> slow down. So now we're going to get into listener letters. Well, hello, angels. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> well, we got a sweet message from Gardenia's for Martha on Instagram. And if you recall in our episode on Chiving, we talked about our games we used to play in our childhood, like silly, silly games we would play. And I think I said that me and my fr- friends used to play Iraq War, uh, the first one. And Gardenia's for Martha said in her message to us that she and her siblings and cousins used to play drive-by at her oh aunt's house. Yeah, in Inglewood, <laughs> which is an LA <laughs> suburb. It's, it's a very black and brown area. Um, I don't know what gentrification has done to it. But anyway, uh, she said that there was a patch of grass in the front yard. And when they would see headlights coming, they would drop to the ground behind a tree oh and yell, drive by. <laughs> also, she said <laughs> Beth's fishing story where everyone else caught cool fish and Beth, Beth caught a crappie. And, and, and uh, hunting corner was really funny. And uh, <laughs> uh, she said uh, she that I proved her point that a gang of white people surrounding a person of color is terrifying. And mm-hmm. to that, I say, thank you for fucking with us on a regular basis for supporting yeah. with us. She engages, engages with us every week on Instagram. So we love you, boo and hip hop air horns. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Thank yeah. you. What do you got, Beth? I just wanted to say thank you so much to all of our patrons. You make it possible for us to do this podcast without going broke. <laughs> yeah. so, so thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We really appreciate it. Hip hop air horns to all of you. Absolutely. Well deserved. So uh, we are going to take a quick break and we're going to get to the story when we come back. I know what you're thinking. How the fuck did we get to this moment? I'm a lover, not a fighter. I am not a monster. I'm just a woman with an uncontrollable urge. I know it's wrong, but why does it feel so good? Would this forever be my fate? We all have skeletons. I just haven't buried all of mine yet. Want to know my biggest secret? Tune in every Thursday for KISS, the audio series. Now streaming on most major streaming platforms. See you there. (laughs) All right. So, uh, Beth, we're back. Who are we talking about today? Mayopa Cedric Make, also known as the Wemmerpan killer who committed at least 27 murders throughout 1996 and 97. And Make did not discriminate in that he killed people of any age, race, and sex. And he also had five different MOs. 
Right. And his crimes took place in South Africa. Yes. Which is a hotbed for serial killers, turns out. Um, So now we're going to dive back into the timeline. Splish, splash. Take us there, Beth. So far, uh, we covered what was later termed the Hammer series, when Make used a hammer to attack people working in shops. Then he switched to what is called the Wemmerpan series when he began attacking couples at Wemmerpan, uh, which was a, which is a park with a lake. Then he started the Taxi series when he uh, attacked taxi drivers. Cut to his fourth MO called the Random Pedestrian series is just what it sounds like. He began attacking random people walking down the street. Mackie did not always stick to the same MO in the same period of time. He often switched back and forth. And if you recall, we left off when on July 18th, 1997, Mackie f- killed five people in one day in two different MOs and three separate incidents. Right. Mm-hmm. Then on July 26, 1997, Hanil Matuzzi and Doris Mangafala were walking down the street when they were approached by two men. The men demanded money, then assaulted Hanil and raped Doris. Doris was beaten to death with a rock. They then stole Doris's pants and shoes for some reason. Um, hmm. Haniel did survive, and the second man who attacked them is not known. After this, Maki went back to his old Hammer series, M.O., when sometime in August of 1997, he attacked 64, 64-year-old Luvio Vitone. Vitone was working at a shoe shop in Japistown when Maki dropped off some shoes for repair. Maki returned the next day to get them, and when he did, he asked about some belts that were hanging behind the counter. Luvio handed him one, and Maki tried it on. Maki then pulled out his hammer and hit Luvio in the face with it. Oh, God. Luvio lost consciousness. When he woke up, Maki was gone, but he'd left behind his bag and the hammer. In the bag, Luvio found shoe polish, an empty wallet, and the shoes that he had just repaired. What a waste of time. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> you couldn't even take the shoes. <laughs> 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 And uh, Luvio sold the items before they could be collected as evidence. And this is another case that was probably not reported until later because the man didn't trust the police. That's just my supposition. Yeah, and I uh, I don't think I can disagree with that. Um, on August 16th, 1997, 53-year-old Natvarlal Gangaran was attacked in his tailor shop. Mackie attacked him from behind with a hammer and stole his wallet. Natvarlal survived. Then on August 19th, Aesop Hassan was found in a pool of blood on the floor in his shop. He had been attacked with a hammer around 10.30 that morning, but had no memory of it. He survived. On the morning of August 29th, 1997, Make attacked 56-year-old Kanu Farbu in his tailor shop in Yeovil. Maki hit him with a hammer and stole his wallet. Kanu, unfortunately, did not survive. Then on September 14th, Abdul Karim was attacked with a hammer in his shop in Forsberg. He fortunately did survive. And then five days later, 75-year-old Harjivan Dea was attacked from behind with a hammer. His wallet and a bag of clothes were stolen. He survived. I, I just wonder what like the news coverage is at this point. Like, <clears throat> are there articles yeah. or is it is is it on the nightly news every day? What's what's going on? Right. Um, yeah. On October 4th, 1997, Mackie killed Mahomeb 
Ibrahim while he was working in a shop in La Rochelle. Mohamed sustained severe head and neck injuries and his body was found by a customer later that day. Cash had uh, been stolen from the register. On October 14th, Maki beat Jacinto Serrano to death in a cafe in Turfantine. And on October 18th, Eduardo Augusto was attacked in his shop in Buisens when Maki hit him in the head with a hammer. Eduardo survived, but Maki stole Eduardo's ID book and wallet and the entire cash register, Whoa. which contained 500 rand. Which, again, is South, uh, South African currency. Uh, the next day, right. Mackey began what was later termed the House Series, his fifth and final MO. These were a series of home invasion robberies. On October 15th, Jose Caires was stabbed to death in his home in Regent's Park, a suburb of Johannesburg. Mackey stole his television, video recorder, wallet, a pair of shoes, and his keys. On October 25th, 36-year-old Mahesh Vallab was working in a tailor shop when a couple came in. The man and woman said they wanted to buy underwear and then attacked Mahesh with a hammer and stole 500 rand before leaving. Mahesh survived. Sorry, there's a mosquito near. Get the motherfucker. Get the mo- I have the bug spray. I knew he was in here somewhere. I had the bug spray. I got the fly swatter. He's been driving me nuts all day. <laughs> anyway. Did you get him? I got him. Whew, Good. What a relief. Okay. Um, <laughs> back to the story. On November 3rd, Maki went to the tailor shop of Anil Meta and left some pants for alterations. The next day, he returned to collect the pants and beat Anil to death with a hammer. His body was found by an employee when he arrived for work. A bag containing two pairs of jeans and an invoice was found on the counter. So now we're going to dive into the investigation. Hit it, Beth. Uh, <laughs> as we mentioned earlier... <laughs> <laughs> In the 90s in South Africa, there was kind of a crime wave, and it was actually not surprising to have two serial killers at work in the same area at the same time. So both the Wemmer Pan series and the Hammer series were thought to be the work of two different men. Captain Pete Bilveld, if you will recall, had been assigned to the Wemmer Pan series, was assigned to another series to investigate, which was the Hammer series. While investigating the Hammer series, Bilveld came up with a plan to put surveillance on the tailor shops and shoe repair stores in the area, hoping to catch the killer. It's a good plan. Yeah, it is. But uh, the Asian community, many of whom the victims in the Hammer series belonged to, did not believe that the crimes were being properly investigated by the police, which they probably had good reason to believe that. And they Mm -hmm. went to the media. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the first time that the crimes had been connected in the media, all of the the Hammer series. Mm. And because of all the media attention, Billveld called off his surveillance, assuming that the perp would stop hitting the stores. And this is apparently what happened as Mackey went back to his house series MO when on November 7th, 1997, Arthur McIntyre was beaten to death with a hammer in his home in South Hills. Mackey stole a video machine, probably a VHS player, a portable radio, jewelry, clothes, and a 38 caliber revolver. On the same day that he killed Arthur McIntyre, Mackey went into Victoria Fashions in Rosettenville and attacked a Chinese couple, Chan Chow and Ki Chow with a hammer. 
He stole some cash and fled. Chan died in the hospital the next day, but Key survived. A week later, Maki killed Dakor Ranchad in Boston Taylors. He then switched MOs again when on November 28th, he attacked a man riding his bicycle at Wemmerpan. Maki shot Gerard Lavu in the back, killing him, then stole Gerard's bicycle and later stole <laughs> he stole it and then he sold it. On December 12th, 1997, Maki approached Mini Kabinde and Tande Nadaba while they were in a shack that they had built at Blue Dam Homestead Park. And I actually I tried to find more information about this, but I'm assuming they were homeless. And so they built a little shack. Like a tent city. Yeah, yeah, kind of a tent city. Maki pretended to be a police and told them that he was looking for stolen property. He then searched through their belongings. He then told them to come with him to his vehicle. Minnie and Tandy followed Mackie, and Mackie suddenly pulled out his firearm and held it to Minnie's head. He then raped Tandy and afterwards shot and killed Minnie. Later the same day, Mackie broke into the home of uh, Cyril Slattery in Turfontine and attacked him with a hammer. After bludgeoning Cyril to death, Mackie stole his TV. Two days later, on December 14th, Enoch Magama, 25, and Delway. <laughs> God, these names. <laughs> these names are hard. These names Delway. are hard. We're, we're, getting, we're doing our best. Mm. Delaway. <laughs> Delaway. Okay. Delaway and Gagala, 24, were in Moffat View, walking through the Veld, uh, which is a flat area covered in grass or low shrub when they were attacked by Maki. He uh, uh, he forced them to have sex while he watched. Then he raped Delaway and robbed Enoch of his clothes and watch. Uh, but he didn't kill either of them. And it's, it's weird how he picks some people to spare and he kills others. And I wonder what made him do that, what made him choose which ones to spare and not the others. Um, yeah, and me too. At one point, he even had the audacity to ask one of his rape victims, Dorcas Makatsune, for a date, if you remember, in the last yeah. episode. Yeah, I'm I'm puzzled. Uh, yeah. On December 19th, Bangami Gama and Natambifuthi Zumalo were walking in Pioneer Park when Maki snuck up on them and uh, uh, from behind. He shot Bongami in the back, killing him, and then took his money. And then he forced Natambifuthi to walk with him to Wemmerpan, where he raped her twice. Afterwards, he forced her to walk with him again. As they were walking, they came across two men, Richmond, Fabana, and another man whose name I could not find. And Maki shot at them. The unknown man escaped. But Richmond was wounded, and uh, Maki went up to him and stole his shoes. And in uh, Mickey Pistorius's book, she calls them the shoes. She calls them tackies. (laughs) So she she said he he stole his tackies. I was like, tackies? What the hell is that? So I I looked it up, and it it means athletic shoes. So sneakers or tennis shoes or, in the UK, kicks, trainers, or runners. (laughs) I love all these uh, names for shoes. (laughs) 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 Anyway, uh, Richmond survived. Maki then took Ntumfuti to Faraday Station, uh, where he raped her again. He then let her go, telling her that she was lucky he didn't kill her. And uh, I guess she was, but uh, damn. Now, throughout all of this, right, he still has a job. 
and he still has a girlfriend, right? Or a fiance? Yeah, he has a girlfriend in um, Johannesburg and he has a wife and three or four children uh, back home. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So meanwhile, Detective Pete Bilveld was able to pull a DNA pro- profile from a tissue found near the scene of one of the Wemmer Pan murders. And he was also collecting DNA from the rape victims. That's good. Bill Veld yeah. spoke to the surviving victims and they described the, ser- the the killer as a small in stature, but strong and very aggressive uh, individual. He would chase the women while swearing at them in Afrikaans. He also bragged to his victims about his other murders. Bill Veld and a female police officer set a trap one weekend at Wemmerpan. They parked in a car pretending to just be another couple spending time together at the lake. They waited in the car for nine hours. Oh but when it started to get dark, Bill Veld called it off because he was afraid for his colleague's safety. As they were driving away, they got a radio call that a man had been creeping up the hill behind them. But when the engine started, he fled. So wow. they almost got him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Okay. Well. <laughs> very thrilling investigation now we're going to dive into yes. the arrest so then in late december 1997 Bellville caught a break Whew, thank goodness a member of the public called in to say that a strange man was lurking lurking around a local hotel he'd never ate or slept there but he was always around and he wasn't a vagrant the description that was provided fit the surviving Wemmerpan victim's description of their attacker. He was a small, thin man, neatly clad in green trousers and a gray jersey. The caller also said that he thought he might be in a relationship with a woman who lived in the hotel. Belveld found out that the man's girlfriend was a woman named Angelina Tlapain, and she worked at a nearby dog groomer's. On the morning of December 23, 1997, Belveld and his team started surveillance on Angelina. At about 11 a.m., she got into a taxi and traveled towards Japistown. Near the railway station, she got out and waited on a corner. A small man clad in green trousers and a gray jersey came walking towards her. It was Cedric Mackey, and he was taken into custody. Police found a single bullet cartridge in his pocket. Maki refused to say a word. And um, I think there, there's there got to be more to this, how they figured he must have been the Wimmerpan killer, because just somebody calling and saying there's this guy that's hanging around a hotel and they're like, hmm, sounds like he's the Wimmerpan killer. It just doesn't really connect. So, yeah, but that's all I know. There's definitely more to the story. We just don't know it. Um, yeah. At the police station, Maki asked to see his wife. Belleville told him he would arrange it. In the meantime, Belleville knew that he could only detain Maki for 48 hours, so he arranged for a blood sample so that it could be compared to the DNA profile the police already had for the murder. Belleville was called in the middle of the night and told that Maki was basically throwing a fit. He was screaming and throwing feces at his jailers. Mm. Yikes. Well, <laughs> you know, one of my one of my favorite shows is uh like lock up or lock up abroad and that's something that prisoners do i mean when you feel like you have nothing to lose or you have nothing to throw (laughs) (laughs) i got nothing in here i'm gonna poop some out and throw it at you yeah Yeah. what else what else is there to do what else are you gonna throw (laughs) yeah 
True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast killer podcasts and slow burn media production subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows ohio is a land of mystery from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com So Bill Veld got up and headed to the jail to try to calm Maki down. When he arrived at Maki's cell, Bill Vale said, Can I get you a cold drink? You might as well know you're not getting out of here. You can do what you like, but it would be better not to upset the people around here. Hmm. Novel idea. Belleville spent around three hours talking to Mackie. At first, Mackie behaved very angrily, swearing at Belleville and repeating over and over that he had no idea what Belleville was talking about. Eventually, Belleville said, I've been so kind to you. I fetched your wife and I'll bring her again if you want me to and your mother. And Belleville was able to make Mackie calm down. Calm the fuck down, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the technicians at the forensics lab in Pretoria worked right through Christmas so they could have the results ready before the 48-hour de deadline was up. Only hours before the cutoff time, the forensic division phoned with the news. The DNA matched. Maki was their killer. Mm. DNA results in hand, Belleville confronted Maki in his office saying, Cedric, I know it's you who killed all those people at Wemmerpan, raped the women, and did all those things. Finally, Maki said, Yes, I did it. It was me. 
Bilveld arranged to take Maki out so he could point out the crime scenes in the company of an independent officer and an interpreter. Maki took them to more than 40 sites, including the one where he had shot, quote-unquote, the white man, which was Gerhard Lavu, beside Weberpan for his bicycle. The data generated by this was later used with geographic information systems and crime mapping technology to provide geographic geographic diagrams of the murders. Geographic profiling later revealed that the majority of Maki's murders were centered on two of his residences, the place where he worked and the residences of his brother and his girlfriend. So not where his wife and kids lived. No, they lived out somewhere else in a different town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Maki took Bilveld to a pawn shop in La Rochelle in South Johannesburg, where he had sold the bicycle for 120 rand. The alias that he used on the receipt was Patrick Mowena, the same alias he used to check in a shirt at one of the tailors before Maki murdered him or attacked him. Mm, I see a connection. Yeah. Uh, clothing and shoes that he had taken from the from some of the victims were found on his mother's house in Guyana. Maki took police to a place where he had hidden a pistol that he had used in his crimes. When Belveld asked him why he killed tailors, Maki reportedly said that he once took a garment to a tailor to have work done on it and wasn't happy. Quote, since then, I killed them, unquote. So one garment wasn't to his yeah. liking. And he decided <laughs> so to kill all, all of the tailors. <laughs> it doesn't make no damn sense. No, uh, no. Does not compute. But, um, other things are, uh, other things are, <laughs> there's a lot puzzling about this story. That's, that's yes, the least, yeah. that's the least of it. Um, yeah. So now we're going to dive into the trial. So Mackie pleaded not guilty to 133 charges at his trial, which lasted 11 months and did not end until September of 2000. Remember his spring. Wow. Ended in 1997. Yeah. Uh, the Wemmer serial killer trial was on the er- uh, earliest use, one of the earliest uses of geographic information systems to aid in court prosecutions by the South African police. Surviving female victims testified against him, recalling how he would kick them and scream obscenities at them while they were on the ground. And experts offered graphic explanations of how Maki used large rocks to crush the skulls of some of his victims. One mother whose son was murdered ran from the courtroom sobbing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, on several occasions, uh, Maki lost control in court. And once he became so angry, he began screaming and banging his head on the dock. Um, I think think that means the table or maybe the place where they keep him while oh, he's okay. yeah oh, okay. when he's in trial like it's a little different i think from the courtrooms that we're used to uh for us it would be a table um but they it, it's more like english courts oh okay um all right uh so six police officers had to carry him out sometimes he would refuse to enter the courtroom once during a recess he sneered at state advocate yolinda duplessis and threatened her with the same violence he used on his victims but when his mother was mentioned in court he would cry um well that's interesting uh, yeah, he, he was a little emotional. Like, yeah, know. 
Yeah. Um, there's a lot going on in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think I was like thinking he needs Oprah. And then I I'm keep thinking about that clip. <laughs> Did you see Oprah fall on stage? No, I didn't see that one. <laughs> oh, so funny. I think I need to see it. Oh, Oprah, Oprah is, Oprah is on stage at a conference trying to convince people to sign up for Weight Watchers. And she's talking about, she's talking about balance. <laughs> Oh, no. balancing and your life down. and then oh, one no. second later she goes <laughs> oh my god how embarrassing down hard oh. and, then, and then she sits up and goes wrong shoes <laughs> oh my anyway. gosh so he, he might have needed Oprah. That's that's the only reason why I brought that up. And then I can't, I can't. Anytime I think of Oprah now, I just see her. You just start thinking about. I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna you look that to up because that sounds is, pretty fucking funny. It is so funny. Okay, um, back to more uh, uh not back funny to sad stuff. stuff yeah. Uh, so at one point in the trial, Judge Geraldine Porchers ordered uh, Mackie be removed from the court. On another occasion, she recommended that he be examined by a doctor, and he was prescribed tranquilizers, which he refused to take. Maki slept as Judge Borchers pronounced him guilty of murdering Jose de Kers by hitting him over the head with his own hammer and stabbing him. While he dozed, de Kers' widow, Mariette, sobbed. Uh, that's pretty sad. Yeah. On October or September 6, 2000, he was convicted of 27 murders, 26 attempted murders, 14 rapes, 41 aggravated robberies, and many less serious offenses. He was found guilty of 114 of his 134 charges in all, and he was sentenced to 27 life sentences, amounting to 1,340 years in prison. Is that enough? He's going to be there for a while. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Families of the victims said they welcomed the sentence. However, one relative said, quote, if the death sentence was still in place, I would be happier, unquote. I can certainly understand can why a family yeah. member might feel that way. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, now we're going to get into where are they now? Well, Mackie said he would appeal and boasted that he would be out of jail in two years, but his he is currently still in prison, serving his 1,340-year prison term. Mackie's wife and children moved to Guiani to live with relatives. Pete Bilfeld retired from the South African Police Service in 2010 after 38 years of service, starting a private eye business with associates. A biography called Bilfeld, Dossier of a Serial Sleuth, was written by Hanley Retief and recounted his career. Regarded as South Africa's top detective, he died in May of 2017. Oh, well, you know what? I got to say, I don't always have nice things to say about police officers and their investigations, but um, this guy, I think, did a good job investigating the case and yeah. um, getting to the bottom of it. Yeah, and, and apparently he uh, he investigated a lot of cases and solved a lot of cases like this. Yeah, so, so big ups to yeah. that guy. So now we're going to get into what we think made him snap and our takeaways. So um, this is a weird one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> we had five different MOs, killed whoever, didn't matter what race, sex, or age. He used different methods of killing. He used a hammer, rocks, knives, and a gun. And it, it seems to me that he was just full of rage. Yeah. Um, he kind of reminded me of the baseline killer, just kind of opportunistic in his crimes. Mm -hmm. Just did whatever he felt like doing, whenever he felt like doing it. And he 
didn't seem like he put a whole lot of thought into it. I mean, he had some plans, but I don't know. He seemed like he just kind of did whatever he felt like doing, really. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to say why he did what he did, especially why he went on this killing spree in such a short period of time. Yeah, It's like a year. Mm-hmm. A year. Yeah. And as far as we know, he didn't do anything illegal prior to December 1996 when the first attack occurred. I know, right? Yeah. It's possible that he did. And we just don't know about it, but um, we don't know about it. So um, as far as we know, he just started killing people. Yeah. And just went nuts for a year. Um, now he said he was treated barbarically in his tribe initiation and he was really angry with his father, but as always, he's not the only one out there with life experiences like that. Right. And they don't all become serial killers. So I I don't know. I don't know why he did what he did. Um, and it did cross my mind more than once that maybe he didn't do all of these crimes and it's possible that he didn't do some of them. Uh, but they did have DNA and they found evidence at his mom's house mm-hmm. and the, the receipts using the name Patrick Moina. And um, he took them to crime scenes and the gun. So, I mean, obviously he did uh, a lot of them. Right. But as I was reading the story, I was like, I wonder if he didn't actually do these. And they just uh, fingered him for all of these crimes just to, to have somebody to put away. But um, it, I think he did do a lot of them. <laughs> Yeah. So what do you think? I think that he did do a lot of them. Um, I I was surprised at how brazen his crimes were. I mean, to to kill somebody with a hammer, you have to get like really close to them and like look them in the face. Like, um, yeah, that's a pretty personal uh, attack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And a pretty violent, like you have to be willing to go all the way. Like, one yeah. blow might not do it and it's a gruesome way to, to kill somebody yeah and so i um i wondered about that and then i wondered about um like may- maybe he had a mental break maybe there's some event mm. that happened in his life or mental health um and he just snapped because he killed yeah. so frequently in that one year period yeah. of time, it was like the next day, five in one day. Yeah. Like uh, it was, it, it was like he was a killing machine. He, yeah, he literally, yeah, was a machine. And so I wonder what happened that made him snap. God forbid he hadn't been apprehended. Um, and yeah. then uh, I also um, just was just blown away by the uh, amount. He was so brazen. Um, his, his, um, crimes were just like, just so many, so frequent and, um, yeah, he didn't seem to have any remorse either. Um, and thus, right. uh, Right. Until he, you know, heard his mom speak in the courtroom and, um, I don't know what that's about either. So those are my thoughts, Yeah, but I don't agree with you. So basically, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's weird. And I don't know. <laughs> yes. If you're looking for answers, don't come here. <laughs> try, yeah, one, we got try, lots one of other, try one of those other true crime podcasts. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve and we will cover that. Plus, We will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And 
Give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download American Vigilante now. So now we're going to talk about how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. So take it away, Beth. So my tips this time, because Mr. Maki did some home invasions, uh, my tips are about how to stay safe during a home invasion. So first of all, have a plan and follow it. The best time to think about what you would do in the event of a dangerous situation is before that situation has actually occurred. Brilliant point. (laughs) (laughs) When it's actually happening, panic and fear can cloud your judgment, which could potentially land you in a dangerous situation. So make your plan ahead of time. Uh, Number two is don't confront an intruder. Even if it doesn't look like the intruder has a weapon, physical confrontations are risky and could be deadly. Avoid confrontation unless absolutely necessary. Number three is get as far away from the intruder as possible. Put as much distance between yourself and the intruder as you can. Always try to get out first. So your first thought should be to get out of the house. Mm. Number four, call for help. After you've put distance between yourself and the intruder, call 911. This is what I've always never understood is so in these movies, right? White ladies always run up the stairs inside the house. Yeah, and black get, people get the hell out. Nobody would ever, <laughs> nobody with some sense would ever run up the stairs. You gotta get out get of the house. Out. Get out of the what house. What is wrong with yeah. these white ladies in these movies? I, it's crazy. I don't know. Okay. Don't be like them. Yes. Don't be like the white lady in a horror film. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. So if the intruder starts running away from your home, let them go. Yes. Personal safety expert and CEO of Sabre Security Equipment Corporation, David Nance, says, quote, let them leave if they're trying to leave. Your safety and that of your loved ones is most important. So don't be a hero. Let them leave. Mm -hmm. Defend yourself if necessary, but make a plan first. That means now. (laughs) Make sure that you have the tools to defend yourself. Experts suggest having easy to use methods of self-defense, such as pepper spray or pepper gel. 
or if you're comfortable and trained, a firearm readily available in the event that you need to defend yourself. But don't keep a gun if you don't know how to use it or if you're not sure if you can use it. It could easily be taken from you and used against you. That's right. David Nance says, quote, I'm a big advocate of defending yourself at a distance. Home defense pepper gel is an excellent option. The pepper gel does not atomize like traditional pepper sprays and it only affects what it it directly contacts. And you can purchase pepper gel on Amazon, saberred.com, Dick Sporting Goods, Home Depot, and lots of other places. Just ask Googleisha where you can buy <laughs> pepper gel and she will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so once you have your plan in place, practice it with your family often. Have a plan of how to leave the house and where to meet up after leaving and for calling the police. Figure out a room or places where you can all go to hide if the situation warrants, if you can't get out. Figure out a word to say to execute the plan. Don't overcomplicate it and make it something that's too hard to remember. Something like escape works fine. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I, so I practice with my kids, like when we come home, you know, and it's dark outside, like, do you see anybody who's go- who wants to kill us? Um, or like, <laughs> we'll do practice, practice like z- zombie apocalypse um, drills. So where we all have to like climb on the car. And- yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So good idea. Yeah. yeah Make it into a game. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, prevention is key. Make your home less of a target. Don't make it obvious when you're home alone. Always make sure that your house is well lit. Stay mm-hmm. on your guard when strangers come to your door and be extremely cautious when deciding who to let inside. If oh, yes. someone you don't know knocks at your door, you can give the impression that there are other people at home with you by yelling out, I'll get it before opening the door or just ask who is there through the door. You can mm-hmm. also install a security screen to keep a barrier between you or a ring video doorbell so you don't have to make yourself vulnerable by opening the door at all. Right. Make sure that your home is as secure as possible and lock every goddamn thing. <laughs> I've already heard the truth. I don't need it. You know, when the Jehovah's Witnesses come over, yeah. I already know. Go to the next house. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have found my Lord and Savior, so. I'm already saved. <laughs> So now we are going to get into the part of our show where we shout out any content by people of color, any marginalized groups, or any true crime goodies. So I just wanted to shout out a documentary on Netflix, The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez. Um, You might have by now already heard our crossover episode um, that we did with our play, our pod play cousins over at uh, Affirmative Murder. And uh, it is a horrifying, heartbreaking, but necessary story um, because this poor baby literally just fell through the cracks of the, of the system. And um, so did the coverage of his death because he was a poor Latinx brown kid. So yeah. um, check that out. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I wasn't sure if I could watch it because it involved the torture and death of a child. And uh, I find that kind of uh, disturbing. Yeah, to say the least. It was a tough watch, but I think everybody needs to see it. Yeah, and I got through it, so I think you guys can too. Yeah. 
What do you got, Beth? I wanted to recommend the movie Parasite, which you might have oh, heard yeah. of because it won Oscar for Best Picture. That's right. Yeah. And the president didn't like it because it wasn't oh, yeah. in English. <laughs> right. He can't read, so right. it yeah. was hard for him to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would have known about uh, this this movie if it hadn't won the Oscar. Um, oh. I hadn't heard any uh, anything about it until the Oscars. So, oh, okay. I'm really happy that uh, I, I did hear about it because uh, it was really good. It and was. it's the first non-English language film to win Best Picture. It's a Korean movie. And I don't know if I've ever watched a Korean movie before. Have you? I don't think I, I don't. I don't think so. No. But- yeah, I don't. I don't think I have either. I've watched Chinese movies, um, mm-hmm. Japanese movies, French movies, other ones too. But I don't think I've watched Korean a Korean movie before, and and I yeah. really enjoyed it. So I think I'm going to be looking for some more. Yeah. I used to watch a lot of foreign language films years ago. I haven't recently because I've been so busy, and you have to really pay attention because you have right. to read. Mm -hmm. yeah so so (laughs) i haven't watched a lot uh recently but i used to really watch a lot of them uh because they definitely have a different perspective than american movies yeah american movies tend to be moralistic and uh Mm -hmm. foreign films aren't as moralistic they tell stories with realistic and flawed characters but it's okay american Mm -hmm. movies they uh they want their good people to be good and their bad people to be villains and it's all spelled out you know there's no mm-hmm. nuance mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. so i enjoy that not not the american movies <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of nuance in all of these characters which yes, um, yes. it was really really cool to see yeah and uh it was a really good movie and uh my friend who watched it said uh she didn't think she'd ever seen a movie like it and i don't think i have either yeah i i think i would have to agree with that Who's this yeah. friend of yours? Can we go to uh, lunch? <laughs> I'm sure we could. I, I'm sure she's dying to meet you. So <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's go fill our bellies with garbage again. <laughs> <laughs> times are t- times are hard over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Parasite is on Amazon right now for like $6. And today they're running a sale. So it's $4. Um, but Ooh. I don't know if that'll be uh, still on when this airs. But yeah, it's pretty cheap. So watch it. Yeah, it's very, very good. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you very much for that shout out. Sure. Uh, well, that's it for this week and for the season, actually. Uh, we're going to be taking a break until April and then we will be getting right back at it so don't worry also we have decided to abandon the season quote-unquote format going forward so we're just going to be having numbered episodes so we're almost at a hundred um we will take uh short quarterly breaks just you know we're just human beings just like you uh so (laughs) just so we don't lose our goddamn minds uh and then we just we'll get right back at it whenever we can so um thanks for rocking with us thanks for listening to us uh and but in the meantime beth where can the people find us 
Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod, and links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. That's right. Everything Beth said is 100% true. Um, <laughs> this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So- Except for when we're on break. <laughs> Except for when we're on a goddamn break. Uh, but until then, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? Or just a horrible accident. That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule, history so interesting, it's criminal.